Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. For a little bit this evening, in this season, I want to talk to us about rejoice in the Lord. If you'll do that, you may be seated. Psalmist David uh, in Psalms 8 made this oft-repeated observation. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man or mere mortals? Who are we that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Who am I, God, in light of who you are and what you created. I mean, consider that there are now over 8 billion people on the planet we call Earth, and yet of all, all 8 billion of us clustered together, we, we've only modified about 14.5% of the Earth's surface, and, and that's not even inhabited. And yet, that little bit of earth space that you and I cover along with our 8 billion fellow humans, that pales in comparison to the reality that we can fit 1 million earths in our sun. And if you shrunk our solar system that revolves around that sun to the size of a football field, that sun would be like a dime on the goal line. And you hang on for just a minute and shrink the Milky Way galaxy for which our solar system is a part of down to the size of just the U.S. If you could put that image, think about that in your mind. Our solar system would be like a quarter laying out in Kansas somewhere. And just to put a cherry on the top of your imagination, the Milky Way galaxy is only one of about 200 billion estimated galaxies in the place God calls home, the universe. And so what is man that God is mindful of him? And yet, we know the truth given to us by the word of God, and that is that we are, in fact, the focal point of that amazing God's attention. That even when the paradise of perfect communion and relationship between God and Adam and Eve, when that perfect paradise was broken by their sin in the garden, that even then we remain the focus of God's attention and God's plans. Because in the same place where God pronounced the first judgment against humanity, God also proclaimed the first promise of redemption for humanity. Genesis 3 and 15, you may have heard this before, but God said it, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, speaking to the serpent. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. His blow will be fatal and your blow will be temporary to him. And from that moment forward, the Old Testament reveals the unfolding plan of God's redeeming love for you and I, and you ought to be able to smile about that. Prophetically looking towards Jesus Christ, David wrote these words in Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is 
fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah's well-known prophecy declared, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And by the way of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And Zechariah's less known prophecy proclaimed in Zechariah 9 and 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And come he did. And come we celebrate in this season that unto us he came. Matthew begins the story this way in Matthew 1 and 20 when, when Joseph is kind of, uh, his cage has been rattled by the news uh, that Mary is with child. And while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. No wonder then, no wonder when we see a snapshot of the Old Testament prophecies and we hear the angel's words to Joseph, no wonder that joy and rejoicing and celebration mark the biblical accounts of the birth of Jesus. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us, and that is the true Christmas story. Amen? Luke 1 and 28, the story continues, where having come in, the angel said to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Rejoice, Mary. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his sayings and considered what manner of greeting this was. So the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Mary's world was turned upside down on that day, you might say. Life going forward certainly would not be easy, but nevertheless, Mary obeyed 
the angel, and she rejoiced in the God of her salvation. And we see it in the psalm that she began to sing after visiting Elizabeth, her cousin, in Luke 1 and 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has what? Rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, and behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things through me and for me, and holy is his name. The angels would then join the act, this act, this story, the Christmas story, were filled with celebration and filled with rejoicing. They joined the act and proclaimed to the shepherds in Luke 2 and 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy to all people. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with them the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts saying and praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then old Simeon, comes along to close out the story. Simeon, who had been promised by the Holy Spirit, what a promise, you will not die till you see the Messiah and holding Jesus in his arms, Simeon proclaims, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the hope, the rejoicing, the celebration of the Christmas story. And I pray that that same joy and that same rejoicing and that same celebration would mark our lives and mark our homes and mark our families in this season. Amen? I would hope that the biblical account and the real reason for the season, to use that cliche that is true, by the way, is not just about finding a bargain at Costco. It's not just about having the gift wrapping nobody else on the planet has or the bow that no one else thought about. You know, that's great. But maybe in this season that we would pause and reflect and think it's a party, it's a celebration, but not for all the things that we have been bombarded by, but because that unto us came the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Wrap your gifts, throw your parties, cook that food, and celebrate, but we do it as unto the Lord, because unto us he came. Amen? I'm thankful for our CHIPS team. They're throwing a party for our kids right now. After four months of musical practices, they have released the steam tonight in the gym, and the Lord only knows what's going on back there. And you just wish you could be there instead of here, right? Maybe next 
Maybe next time we'll just, you know, have milk and Oreos in Bible study. Probably not going to happen. Sorry to get your hopes up. <laughs> Here's the deal when we look at Scripture. Whether they are looking forward to the coming king, whether they are celebrating the birth of the king, or whether they are looking back celebrating the king who has come, rejoicing fills the pages of the Bible. On their worst day, there was rejoicing. In the most difficult seasons and passages in the scripture, there is rejoicing. A rejoicing, a joy that describes a state of being of awe and well-being and delight that is above all else anchored in our saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Not circumstantial, not based on victory or defeat, not determined about how they feel or don't feel, but a hope, a joy, a celebration, a rejoicing, a state of well-being and delight anchored in the knowledge, in the truth that the Lord is my salvation and in that I will rejoice. Jesus affirmed this to his disciples in Luke chapter 10. They came back, he had commissioned them to go and to preach and to teach and to heal and to take dominion, and so they did. And they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, you, are, you, you, you have it kind of backwards. You see, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. One finger, one angel, he was out of heaven. And behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, uh, fear of spiritual powers, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's pretty exciting. I'd be I'm pretty thrilled by that assurance from the Lord. But Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in that that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That is the apex and the focal point of the source of why we can rejoice. And again, we can tell ourselves rejoice. We don't just rejoice because we're having a good day. I mean, some of us have more bad days than good days. That would be really bad if it was only on our good days that we could rejoice. We don't just rejoice because we have spiritual power and, you know, I got the victory, victory, uh-huh, uh-huh. But that, that's, not, that's not why we rejoice. That might be a cool song, but, but that's not going to sustain you when it's not victory time. We rejoice because of the wondrous, life-changing reconciliation between God and us. We rejoice because Paul would describe it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Paul said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what I rejoice about. You don't know where he brought me from. You don't know what he brought me out of. I rejoice that in him I am a new creation. I am a new being. I have a new identity. I have new meaning. I have a new mission. I rejoice that in him I am a new creation. Old things have passed away, thank God, and all things have become new. And now all things are of God who has 
reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us a mission and the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In fact, this rejoicing over our names written in heaven is the basis of what the psalmist prophetically envisioned when he penned in Psalms 118 and 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. On my worst day, there's a day that the Lord has made. He came unto me and he reconciled me into himself. So I can say on every day, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I, I will rejoice and be glad in it. So as disciples of Jesus Christ this evening no matter what this day holds, we rejoice because of that day when God came unto us and we rejoice because of that day yet to come when we shall meet him in the air and be with him forevermore. Revelation 19 and 5 describes this rejoicing this way. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God. All of you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunder is saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So this evening, I've just come to remind you from the Holy Scriptures to just lift up your eyes and rejoice. Uh, to rejoice, uh, Emmanuel, that God has come unto us and that we can come unto God and be with him forevermore. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And all of that is but a snapshot of the biblical framework undermining Paul's command that we read in our text. And I just quoted again, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. And yet, no matter how often I read that, and no matter how often I hear that biblical command, it's still hard to wrap my emotions and my thoughts around the idea of always. 
Anybody real here this evening? I mean, I understand rejoicing in deliverance. I understand rejoicing in healing. I understand rejoicing in victory. I understand rejoicing when the bonus comes into the direct deposit of my bank account unexpected. I, I understand that, right? You'd have to be a spiritual moron to not understand that. I mean, if Psalms 21 is your song, by all means rejoice when the psalmist said, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desires and have not withheld the request of his lips. When God is answering every prayer you pray, rejoice. Rejoice. But what about when my prayers aren't being answered? And what about when I'm not living the best life? And what about the real struggles of real existence? And what about the sorrows that will come? That's right. But, you, but I, y'all are on a spiritual high tonight, but me, I wrestle with those questions. And as I wrestle with those questions, I have to remind myself that Paul wasn't immune from those questions himself. And Paul was not oblivious to the circumstances of his congregation. Now, this matters because I and maybe you can easily excuse away, if not by profession, then certainly by practice, that somehow the New Testament is not applicable to me in the 21st century. That Somehow those first century Christians lived fairy tale lives of simplicity and acceptance and ease. And, 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 but that was not the case at all. You see, the Philippian Christians that Paul is specifically writing to, they lived under duress. They lived under the duress of economic uncertainty. They lived under the duress of family betrayal. They lived under the duress of social shaming and a persistent hostility towards from their surrounding culture. They did not live some blissful, fairy tale, magical life that you and I sometimes want to tell ourselves that that's how they live. So since Paul was writing to those people, surely it wouldn't be applicable to me. Paul wrote to people battling the same circumstances and the same hills and valleys that you and I battle and he wrote to assure them and he wrote to assure us that the sole basis and the sole focus of our joy and our rejoicing should be the one and the only one who has saved us from our sins. That's it. That's all our focus should be on. We see it in Philippians 3 and 1 prior to where we arrive in chapter 4. Paul starts that chapter out and says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious. In other words, Paul's saying, I've said this again and again and again, but it's not tedious, but for you, it is safe. In other words, Paul says, I am writing to you again. I am repeating myself because I'm trying to safeguard your faith 
that even when life's not a fairy tale and more like a bad dream, you can still rejoice in the Lord. And just to be sure they understood his command, Paul went to our text. And for the second time, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And then for the third time, he says, I say it again, rejoice. So no matter how hard, no matter how challenging and difficult at times it is for us to digest that the Bible repetitively affirms this truth, no matter how difficult that may be, that as sons and daughters of God, we have a sustaining hope. And we have a sustaining hope that enables us to do that, to rejoice in the Lord always. Amen? What is this hope? What is this sustaining hope? Paul described it in his letter to the Romans, Romans 5 and 1. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That hope will sustain you on your worst day. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We do not just glory in God and who we are in God and who we and how we will spend forever with God, we even can glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope will never disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was or who was given to us. Sounds like Peter who similarly describes this sustaining hope as follows. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1 and 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you and for me, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice that you are kept for a time, that you are kept for salvation. Peter said, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to what? To praise and to honor and to glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation 
of your souls. That is the source of a joy that is unspeakable and unshakable. And on my best day or on my worst day, and when I'm on the mountaintop of victory or I'm in the valley of suffering and sorrow, it really doesn't matter. I can rejoice in the Lord always and rejoice in him. I will. So here's the Cliff Notes recap of this life-transforming truth that we see throughout all of the Bible. No matter what life throws at us, whether it's a fastball or a curveball or a sinker ball or a softball right down the middle, whatever life throws at us, whether the prognosis frightens you or it delights you, whether your net worth is growing or shrinking, and whether your friends are affirming you or attacking you, you can and you should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's like the lyrics to Hannah Kerr's version, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel where she bridges into these lyrics, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. For unto us is born the Savior of the world. Take heart, O weary soul, take heart. For help is on its way, and holy is his name. That help has indeed come. The King has come. Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus and salvation is in his hand and deliverance is in his hand and healing is in his hand and provision is in his hand. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in no one else but Jesus Christ. He was God with us. And because he is God with us, that we can be with him. Not just now, but forevermore with him in a place of rejoicing where we will always rejoice. If you're able, please stand. This is the sustaining hope of the Christmas story that whatever you need on whatever day you need it God is here God is there and he's here to help to keep to strengthen to deliver and meet your need right here and right now you can rejoice in the battle you can rejoice in the midst of a loss. Not denial, not sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich, but facing reality, acknowledging reality, and rejoicing in the face of it because of a hope and a trust in the greatness and the glory and the wonder of an amazing God who came unto us the Savior, born this day in Bethlehem, 
And because of that, you can rejoice. Amen? I wonder if you have time to join me in the front for a time of prayer together. You have time to rejoice in the Lord this evening? They're throwing a party in the back. They would hate for you to come back there right now. I wonder if you have time. There are real needs here this evening. I hope that your home is blissful. I hope your family is in a season of celebration. But maybe everybody's not celebrating. Reality is, is that in this place tonight, there's loneliness. There's depression. There's loss. There's wondering where God's at. There's questions. And in this place tonight, God wants to touch and minister. God wants to strengthen. God wants to renew and restore. God wants to burn in your spirit again, rejoicing. To rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I wonder if you could just lift up your voice all across this sanctuary. I wonder if we could just turn this whole place, every online place where we gather, into a song of worship, into a prayer and a praise, a rejoicing in our God. Even as you petition Him, you can do so rejoicing. Even as you pour out your heart, your worry, your questions, you can do so rejoicing.